Good morning, everyone. Welcome to podcast 19 of the True Potential series. This is a wonderful sunny Friday morning, 29th of May, and I'm joined this morning by colleagues from True Potential Investment Management. We have Jeff Casson, Chief Investment Officer, Chris Leyland, who is Director of Investment Strategy, and Barney Hawkins and Paul Durrance, both investment directors with the firm. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, Paul, this is your first podcast. So would you mind just introducing yourself to our watchers, please? Yeah, sure. So um, as Mark said, my name is Paul Durrance. I've been at the firm for over seven years now um, and been in the investment management department right from the off. Uh, but my responsibility lies with managing the growth aligned fund range, but also managing the global managed fund, which is our auto enrollment default fund. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've been with the team for a long time. Good. Thanks, Paul. Um, Jeff, this is your second broadcast of the day. Um, you Every morning you shoot a, a market update, which goes out to both advisors and clients. For those who haven't watched it, please do tune in. Uh, but Jeff, could you give us just a, a little summary of what you said this morning and then tell us about the week that we've just seen? Yeah, certainly. Um, so this morning, the, the podcast focused on, on a couple of things. One, a theme that we've been running with for a number of days now, probably the past two weeks of increasing sort of political rhetoric and discussion, uh, primarily between the, the US and, and China. And that was quite important last night because, or yesterday, I should say, because asset markets have been performing pretty well yesterday on the equity side. Um, UK, Europe, both up over 1%. But then US was trading very nicely, up over a percent as well, but then sold off into the close. Um, why was that? Uh, President Trump's going to make a, a statement today on the, the US relationship with China. Um, so clearly, everybody's very much aware of what happened uh, last year when we had the trade wars ongoing, the impact that that had on economic activity, the impact that it had on on asset markets. So it'd be very interesting to to hear what he's got to say uh, this afternoon um, when he comes out to say how the US is going to to deal with China. There's also an interesting briefing note that's circulating on the the internet that just talks about the the US relationship with China and how how that seems to be evolving and what they're setting out as the agenda. So that's something that if you can um, take a look at, I'd encourage everybody to have a read because it does set out, um, I think, how the US is going to view China going forward. The other Jeff, thing we... Sorry, you used the term rhetoric there. Um, do, do you think this is, is building up to the election, which is coming in November? I think, yeah, there's there's an element of that. There's also an element of maybe deflection around how COVID-19 has been handled in the US. And there's, there's quite an interesting dynamic when you look at some of the, the maps in the US and how COVID-19 cases have evolved. But also, I think more importantly, how unemployment trends have evolved over the past number of weeks. And it's some of the states that were very strong Trump supporters um, in the 2016 presidential election race have seen the highest changes in unemployment. So there's an incentive particularly there for him to maybe try and deflect things. And clearly, um, rhetoric with, with China is is an easy way of doing that. Again, it appeals to, to some of those in his um, populace or those, those Republicans that typically would vote for Trump. So I, I do think there's a bit of deflection Ongoing. I think the ironic thing yesterday around that was his, his decision to, to maybe look at the, the social media companies, which you know, I, I find that a little ironic because ultimately they were the, the, the things that, that, that helped him get elected um, in 2016. And probably more importantly, it's what his brand of politics is. It's about shooting from the hip and using using Twitter as a means of doing that, which if he's going to censor them or do something different, well, what medium of communication is he going to use going forward? Yeah, very interesting. And it, it, you know, as things develop as we head towards November, we've got we've got Biden who's going to announce his running mate uh, by the first of August. And again, you know, a recent Trump tweet was to attack Biden. The picture of him with the mask and the glasses, and Trump just quickly one liner looked better. 
Yeah. You know, and, and when he starts attacking that medium, which has served him so well and helped him get elected, the, the irony is, is huge on that. Um, for the rest of the week, Jeff, what, what did we really see happening? It was a broad continuation of the trend that we've we've seen over the course of the month with equity markets continuing to to provide sort of the leadership. I think the the key thing over the past seven to ten days has probably been the the, the story in the background really of of Europe performing well, Japan performing well, two two markets that I suppose don't maybe get the attention that they've they they deserve at times. But I think also, as Barney was pointing out earlier in the week, we've seen really poor economic data from from Japan and actually the market's doing well. So it, it speaks to the article that we, we published last week around the, the link between economic data and, and equity market performance. At times they are very disconnected and, and that's what we've seen particularly in Japan over the course of this month with the, the Japanese market, probably the best performing equity market, which is it's an interesting thing that's kind of subtly went on in the background. It's not really been discussed. We've all focused on the US. I think the other thing is just a bit of a, a rotation in the market with um, value or cyclical stocks performing better over the course of the, the past week or so, probably since the middle of May, actually, when you look at some of the charts, whether that's just a, another one of these value rotations that's happened over the past number of years and doesn't lead to anything. We'll, we'll just have to observe that over over the coming weeks. But I think the, the key thing for us there is it, it speaks to the theme of, of diversification and why it's important to have various different styles within a portfolio so that you're capturing these changes that, that happen in the market but are exceptionally difficult to, to time. Yeah, and Chris, all of this is good news for the, the portfolios. Now, Jeff mentioned uh, value as a, as a style. Could you just describe a little bit, please, about the different styles that we, we use within the portfolios and how that's to the benefit of the investors? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, the reality is, is you know, what Jeff has just mentioned is one word, which is diversification. And that, that really is key to what we do within the portfolio. So what we definitely don't do is anchor on one single style. And what we have is a group of differing managers, all with differing styles, differing specialisms, all with different ways of working in current market conditions. So if we think about the different styles that, that we have within the portfolios, you know, arguably we, we actually have all of the traditional styles that, that you would find within investment within the portfolios already. So we do have value in there. So if you look over the month, the best performing manager was SEI. So SEI do have a, a value skew, and that's worked extremely well for them. As well as that, we do have other managers such as, let's say, Close Brothers, who have maybe a little bit more of a growth bias. And actually, that's worked well in previous months where you've seen the leadership from those larger tech companies, particularly in the U.S., continue and, and come through so i think from our perspective actually within the portfolios we're, we're incredibly lucky in the sense that you're not just anchoring around one idea you have all those different styles in there and chris just basically what's the difference between value and growth yeah so that, that's a good point so um basically when you look at value you're looking at stocks that are undervalued so basically, you're looking at stocks that the, the stock market is basically pricing at a lower value compared to what is their the real worth, in your opinion. So value can quite often be areas that are quite out of fashion, uh, things that you know, people aren't really focusing on right now. Uh, and growth is basically your belief that a stock is doing well. It has momentum behind it and it will continue to do well. So probably the best example of that, uh, you know, things like the big tech companies, which have done exceptionally well. You know, things like Netflix was, was the stock of the decade, wasn't it? And there's the belief there that because of their business models, that they will actually continue to do very well. And how has this translated into portfolio performance over the last month, Chris? Yeah, I'm really pleased with performance. Um, what you've seen is the balance portfolio over the month is up around about 4%, just over 4%. Uh, 
Um, all the portfolios have given you strong positive returns. Now, as Jeff said, um, you've seen really good performance in equity markets. You've seen really good performance as well over the month from the higher risk areas of the bond market. So certainly from, from my perspective, it's it's been a great month for returns. And when we get into the, the, the portfolios that have a higher equity content, I guess we're five, six percent growth on, on the month. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Yeah. So when you look at, say, aggressive or growth or growth plus, you've seen very, very strong returns, which which is great. Good, good. And part of the diversification story, it's not just about equities. Bond markets are often overlooked because it's the equity markets that get the headlines. The news flow is all about equities. But bonds have got a crucial part to play in this. And Paul, on, on from your point of view, you know, there's there's a couple of things happening in the bond markets which are really interesting at the moment. You've got the European situation and you've got new issuance. Can you tell everybody a little bit more about those two points, please? Yeah, I, I think bonds are, have been very interesting over the past couple of months. Um, I suppose if you You've got your sovereign bonds, which get a lot of attention, so your UK gilts, uh, US treasuries. But the, the the more interesting area for us um, over the past month or two has been the corporate bond market. Uh, what you've seen there is a real game changer uh, from the Federal Reserve. It, around March time, what you saw is um, spreads. So this is credit spreads, which is um, the, the premium investors require for the credit risk. You saw credit spreads really blow out uh, as equity markets sold off uh, in the wake of uh, the coronavirus. Um, but since then, the Federal Reserve stepped in and expanded their asset purchasing program to include incorporate investment grade corporate bonds. Um, and they also included uh, a term called fallen angels, so investment grade credit, which has been downgraded into high yield. Um, so this has been, so what you've seen since then is spreads come in and investors being rewarded if you've owned those assets. So for growth aligned, um, we've been increasing our exposure to corporate bonds. Uh, and we've done that in twofold. We've done it via uh, a passive strategy, um, uh, which is just buying US investment grade. And we've done it by a new active um, manager from Allianz. Um, we believe in this environment, it, it's, it's good to have some passive, but also good to have some active. Having a blend of both um, gives you a, a good risk-adjusted return. Um, but having active management in the bond space, it, we believe, is very important. Being able to have a manager that's got the skill to identify the good the good corporate bonds, the good bonds from the bad. Um, so we've introduced a new manager over the past couple of weeks. And just looking at the performance um, of the two new holdings they've done very very well for us over a short period of time um what we really like about the the new active manager that we brought in they've got not only a great long-term track record but they've managed this very volatile period very very well um providing good returns but also providing excellent diversification so it's been very um has a very low correlation to equities, which is exactly what we want. So we benefited from strong equity markets, strong bond markets, but also had that diversification, which is effectively giving you a really good risk-adjusted return. I think okay, that's the, the, the important point there to, to bring out a little bit, because selectivity and the ability of an active manager to, to be selective is, is crucial. And if we go back to what we discussed in some of the key themes from our, our meetings last month. What was crucial there was the, the, the ability to be selective. And that's what, what Active gives us. And that, that's a really important point for us to, to draw out and think about that in the, the overall uh, context of how we're delivering returns within TPP as well. 
Yeah, and I think that the part of the part of the story about the bond market is 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 the the terminology that we, Paul mentioned investment grade there. You know, what what is the significance of investment grade as as a as a title as a quality of a, an investment? So investment grade is is higher quality bonds. So so um, that's the way I think about it when you hear investment grade, higher quality uh, issued uh, debt. I'm going to bring, thanks Paul, I'm going to bring Barney in in, in a moment to talk about the UK, but I think that we, I don't want to leave the US and Europe quite yet because on the bond side, you've seen some huge um, cash being raised here. In the the US, I think we've seen, well, over a trillion of, of bonds issued into the market in the last, say, 149 days, and this started mid Mid-March, with both um, uh, it was ExxonMobil and, and Verizon who who raised something like twelve billion dollars in a day. In Europe, we're seeing the seven hundred and fifty billion euro issue. And Jeff, we were just talking about this yesterday. You know, it it's coming from capital markets, but it's going to be distributed across European countries in a much different way from what we've seen in the past. Could you? Yeah, tell I, I think that's right, and I think for me. Yeah, I'm probably as skeptical as this as the, as the next person on what's what's happened in Europe historically and whether they can deliver on this this package that they've set out to to get through. Now, clearly, there are likely to be challenges. There are will be negotiation and horse trading around it. But I, I do find it interesting that the package has been structured in a way that is both loans and grants. And so 500, 250, um, sorry, the other way around, 500 in um, uh, grants, 250 billion in loans. But that gives scope for for trading within it. It's also set out, I think, quite neatly how the European Union think about potentially funding it over the next 40 to 50 years, which has never been part of, of the plans in the past. So if this does come off or a version of it does come off, I think it is really important for us to think about what that does mean for for Europe, what it means for the, the cohesiveness of Europe and how Europe does appear to, to be wanting to potentially work together. Um, so I, I think it's important. I think it's an important thing for us to challenge and anybody to challenge their, their own long held views. And that's what I'm, I suppose I'm doing with myself around it, because I've I, as I said at the start, I'm skeptical in Europe, but actually this this could suggest something different. I think the other thing around that is just it, it speaks to one of one of Paul's points as well there about the the issuance that we've seen issuance and investment grade in Europe has been you know, pretty good as well. So we've seen corporate issuance across the globe um, at this point in time. When we think about where we were two three months ago, these were markets that were completely closed. They weren't open and it's in an ironic situation where we've seen in the US market that 200 billion of IG investment grade credit issued per month um, since the, 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 the crisis or the, the nadir of the crisis on the 23rd of March. So big changes in, in fixed income markets across across the piste um, over, over the past month and Europe potentially as a sovereign entity joining that as well um, in the coming in the coming months if we can get 27 to agree to some form of uh, this plan yeah t- 27 to agree that's that t- kind of leads us on to the the next subject really okay let's turn our attention to the uk because there's been some real significant um, developments here not not least that we've lost barney from the webcam but you, you we'll be able to hear him speaking from from uh, middle Northumberland, uh, the internet uh, connection must have gone for you at the moment, Barney. But um, despite the fact that you're closing down, it looks like the rest of the UK is starting to open up a little bit. Um, from Monday in England, we'll be able to meet up to six people from different households in parks and private gardens. And you can actually walk through somebody's house to get into a private garden. Scotland, where Jeff is, up to two separate households can meet of up to eight people. Uh, Wales from Monday, two different households. And Northern Ireland will be opening up a little bit further from the 8th of June. Now, shops opening, 
it's a significant start, I think, um, to, to a, return, a return to normality, which will take a little while. Barney, if we look at the UK, um, corporate UK, businesses in the UK, and how it will affect true potential portfolios, what are your thoughts on this um, as, as we do begin to open up a little bit more? Good morning, everybody. Um, I think the, 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 the government and, and governments around the world um, have, uh, have got a very difficult decision to make. They're damned whatever they do. If they open up too quickly, uh, then they get criticised for putting the population's health in jeopardy. If they remain locked down uh, for too long, uh, then they, they risk sort of, you know, killing off the economy. Um, it's a very difficult line they have to tread. And we're seeing governments around the world, but also within the UK, sort of treading quite lightly. They're all doing the same sort of thing, but in, in, in different ways. So uh, instead of just meeting one person, now you can meet two people or up to six people. You can meet in public areas. Uh, I think, as you said, in England, you can uh, you can go to somebody's garden. You can actually go into their house. In Scotland, uh, you can't even go into the house, not even to use the loo. So I don't know what says what that might say about the state of uh, of Scottish um, lavatorial facilities, Jeff. Perhaps you can sort of shed some light on that. But um, late, late, later in the call, I don't know. Um, but but the message is 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 broadly the same. You know, uh, across the UK and at different stages around the world, that you know, we are uh, seeing a gradual opening up. And although you know there have been a lot of parallels drawn between this downturn and and the last one, the the, the global financial crisis in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. And while there are there are parallels, um, especially in some of the data coming out, you know, we've seen it's it's been the worst increase in unemployment since then. It's been the worst sort of fall off in GDP and economic production since then. This this one is is, is very different. This one um, is, is not part of the economic cycle. There haven't been, um, uh, the, generally recessions happen. There are different catalysts, but it all revolves around an overabundance of debt. Um, borrowing by consumers or companies or, 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 or both, um, resulting in a weakness in the banking sector, uh, which brings about financial collapse. We haven't, that's not the case this time. There is an overabundance of debt, but it's concentrated um, in, in countries at government level, um, uh, which and for, for the most part, those companies, those countries, can ultimately print money to get themselves out of the hole, which is what they're doing. This was um, not the inevitable consequence of, of um, imbalances built up in the global economy. This was just an accident that, that happened to everybody. Um, and uh, it, you know, it, it's a bit like a, a sort of car smash on the M6. It's a tragedy for those at the front end um, there are umpteen other people caught up in the tail backs on both sides who are just sitting there, who are affected by it. Now, the traffic is moving again slowly. The emergency services have been quick on the scene. They've taken the appropriate action as best they can. Things are moving again. For some people, it will be life, you know, life will return to normal. They'll get to where they were going just a little bit later. Others will have missed things that can be postponed, uh, rescheduled. They can pick up where they left off. It'll take them a little while to make up the lost time, but they'll get there. For other people, you know, what they've missed, they will never be able to recapture. And I think, you know, we, that's, that's the same uh, this time around. Uh, unfortunately, there are some uh, companies that will that will go out of business, some before they'd even started. Uh, there will be companies, you know, we, we've seen um, the announcement from Rolls-Royce that uh, several thousand people are going to be laid off. Um, you know, that that is 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 deep scarring um, that uh, Rishi Sunak, the, the chancellor, referred to. 
Um, for others, it will be, you know, it will be a gradual, but, you know, return to normality. Um, and for others, it will be the same, but different. Uh, what we've seen in, in some areas in our everyday life, certainly over the last 10 weeks, life has slowed down uh, a lot. In other areas of life, we've seen a, a great acceleration in trends uh, that were already underway. Um, and that's going to be in, interesting to see how those play out. You know, at the end of last year, uh, we were looking at this sort of um, rapprochement uh, and a, a more cordial relationships between the US and China. Now, um, we're seeing you know, a renewal of hostilities. We've got Trump's speech this afternoon, um, which unsettled the markets yesterday. We'll see what effect that has as we go into the weekend. Uh, but on the other side of things, we're seeing China playing a, a, a very uh, interesting game as, as the US is sort of retrenching from its position or its traditional role as, as world leader. Uh, China is is trying to sort of step into the breach uh, that that has has created, step into that vacuum. Um, so, uh, think, uh, yeah, there's a fascinating race going to take place here between the US and China. This is which of the two superpowers finds the vaccine first. And, you know, the, this is the equivalent of the, the, the moon race, isn't it? Uh, modern times. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, there's three areas I'd like to, to talk to you about um, and the great opening up of the UK, you know, things which are quite close to you. Um, first of all, there is the, the opening up of the, the pubs, the public houses. You've then got the opening up of the gyms. And then when will you be able to go back and let your Turkish barber set fire to your ears? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Uh, what a good question. So uh, I've actually, I watched a few videos, um, I think a few of them on BBC News, MSN News, and the first one looks at what could a, a gym look like when it reopens. And what they've actually done is, is they put Perspex glass between each treadmill. So you've got a kind of eight foot Perspex glass to make sure that you don't spit on anyone or sweat. Pause up, probably spit on someone's the wrong word, but you don't sweat doesn't come off you onto someone else. Um, I think the other video is is what you were saying around pubs, which I thought was really interesting because it was just completely different to what you have now. And that is you've got an entrance and an exit and you have to go through the entrance and you have to go through the exit. You can't mix the two up. As you go through the entrance, a person then takes you to the table. They then seat you. If you want a drink, you can either order it through an app or you order it with the person at the table. The person brings the drinks on a tray. They don't touch the glass in any way, and then they put it down. And also there was perspex between each of the different tables. So if you had a, a kind of booth, they put perspex covers between them, which, again, is, is very, very different to, to what we're used to now. But I suppose in some ways, you know, that is how you have a, a socially distancing if, if it's it's an interesting sense. one, Chris, isn't it, to think about what that means from a, a consumer's point of view and whether the, the experience yeah. is the same yeah. and whether, you know, psychologically you do want to go into that environment or not. And that, I suppose that's the, the kind of great unknown as we, as we approach lockdown as to how these things will evolve and change and how we think about that and how everybody is thinking about that. What's the sort of the, the risk calculation that they're all doing in their own minds about well will I do it this week will I do it next week or will I go outside because I've been been able to enjoy my time outside through this this lockdown and you know I was reading an article was it yesterday that the sales of bikes and bike related equipment have just went went through the roof because people are doing so much more outdoor exercise which might be might be the way forward as well. Chris doesn't need to buy a bike, Jeff. He, he just acquires them. <laughs> we can't make I, jokes like that on this in this video. <laughs> I, 
It is interesting, though, that, that, that Chris has seen videos about, about the, the, the gyms and the pubs because I, I was sent one by KLM last week just to show how, if, if you were to start flying again, what the, the experience would be like. And it, it is very much used technology. You know, check in online, have your boarding card on your telephone. If you don't have that, check in at a perspex-surrounded um, desk which or, or machine, you know, the, the, the automated machines, which will be wiped down regularly. And then check your luggage in. Again, somebody behind a perspex screen there, and then face masks to be to be worn at all times, boarding the plane, etc. And it, it just reminded me that the travel industry it was at the forefront of this, hit very very quickly by lockdown across the world. You know, 150 million Chinese visitors overseas per year. Suddenly that stopped. Airlines are grounded. The cruise industry, um, interesting enough, you know, Carnival share prices bounced significantly. But the, the opening up of airports is, is an indicator of, of things, again, getting back to normal. You know, just locally, our flights will start from the airport in the middle of next week. Very slowly to begin with, but nonetheless, flights are beginning. And it, mm. this, this could be um, a significant development that we see. Um, for everyone, not just for, for, for business travel, but for leisure travel as well. I think for leisure, it's, it's, it's crucial. Um, again, it depends how the, the uptake of that will be. But if we think about particularly for, for Europe, US and some parts of Asia where you've got economies that are very, very dependent, tourism and leisure activities are a large proportion of GDP. Um, you think about you know, Southern Europe in particular, 10 to 15 percent of GDP is related to to tourism, hospitality and leisure industries. So those are the economies that we need to see getting some form of assistance. And that's what the, the ECB baggage, I suppose, is aimed at. But also just that gradual opening up, as you say, for, for travel to come through, people to, to want to go back to traveling um, is, is crucial. And it's interesting that the airlines are trying to to get in the front foot, use technology to, to suggest that. And I suppose there's there's two things there that we've been been touching on. I think if we go right back to our, our very first or second podcast, we talked about China and the role that technology was playing there post our, our trip to China at the beginning of the year. If we look at the Asian markets that have been very forthright in dealing with COVID-19, tracking and tracing, how have they done it? They've used technology to achieve that. Um, that's been allowing them to, to open up probably faster than what we've seen in, in European markets and in particularly in the US because they can track and trace really well. So that's something that I suppose speaks to how technology can help things evolve, heal and, and deal with this situation. I think the other thing that we've touched on in our, our podcast as well that's related to, to airlines and airlines returning is just the oil market. And if we think about the importance of the, the airline industry overall from a demand perspective, you know, it's, it's eight to, to 12 million barrels a day is used through refineries to produce jet fuel with, with that market in significant distress. It's, it's, unlike, it's, it's, not, it, it's easy to see why the oil market's got a problem as well um, until you get that travel market coming back as well or you get the aircraft market to come back. So. It just, I suppose, serves to really demonstrate everything that that we've that we're aware of and has been a key theme of of all of this. Is and alludes to a little bit about what Barney was saying about you know, China and the U.S. is globalization and and supply trends, how those things evolve through this, and and how how globally connected we all are and have been, and whether that is challenged or changed in any shape or form by by COVID nineteen. Yeah, and again, locally, and I mentioned our airport here, the, another news item from yesterday was the, Nissan and Renault announcing some changes into their production line. So news of a, a, a closure in, in Spain and Barcelona, which, which caused a little bit of civic um, or civil unrest, could be good news for the, the, the factory yeah. in the northeast of England as they move production of Renault models across in, in, into the, uh, the UK. So... Time will tell how, how that one will, will pan out. 
I think also the airline industry is a classic supply and demand, very, very cutthroat. And at the moment, the supply is starting to come back. What we don't know is, will the demand be there? Yeah. And that, for me, is the, the big thing about all of this. And I think, you know, Jeff, you touched on this, is you know, will people want to travel? Will people want to consume? You know, how will their habits change as we move away from the coronavirus? You know, it's something that we looked at for um, our chart of the week series. So we looked uh, basically sit in diners. So people dining in restaurants and how that's changed year on year. Now, obviously, it's changed massively this year because we have a lockdown and restaurants are shut. But what happens as restaurants reopen? You know, do people immediately start going back to their favorite restaurant? Do they still go out for the same number of meals per month as they would have done previously? Or actually, you know, is there now a, a change of habit? Are people actually maybe a little bit too frightened to go out initially as they want to see how the, the virus spreads, you know, if there is potential for some sort of second wave? So I think for me, the, the big thing there is, is really around consumption and how that moves as we move out of the coronavirus overall. Will people start to consume? Because that really is key for, for the economic recovery. I think that's an interesting point to, to bring out. And I suppose, Paul, we've been hearing from a number of our, our managers about the importance of the US and the importance of, of US consumption and the US consumer. Um, have you got, what are you thinking about that from a, a growth aligned perspective? I think um, in the US, clearly the, the consumer has been uh, you know, vital um, for their economy and has really driven their economy over, you know, for a long time. And um, I think coming into the virus, coming into the, uh, the downturn and, and as coronavirus spread, we we continue to favour the US on the on the on the basis that the US consumer coming into into this scenario was was strong. Um, and therefore, arguably in a better position to be more resilient. Um, uh, and we've continued to, to favour the US on that basis. It's interesting, I think, to look at the, the unemployment data in the US where, you know, the approach really contrasts with, with what's happening in the UK, where the support package is very much from a from the government to support the structure of the economy and to maintain the functioning of business and keeping people employed. Whereas in the US, we've obviously seen that very, very, very significant spike up in unemployment. But then we saw the data yesterday where the continuing claims number was was very different. Um, and the fact that it went from 24 point something, 24.5, 24.9, I can't just remember the number, down to 21 million. So there's three, Three three point nine million people who have potentially become re-employed um, in the in the past uh, couple of weeks, which is it's quite a swift change. Um, and if that trend is in any way sustained over the the coming months, uh, speaks to to the points you're making there, Paul, around the the resilience or the the adaptability maybe of of the U.S. economy to to change. It's interesting because yeah. we were. We were talking to, to one of our managers, SEI, a couple of months ago, and, and they were, were kind of very bullish around the recovery. Um, they were talking about the, the potential for U.S. unemployment to be within single digits, potentially as we move to the end of the year. So, again, that sort of factors in with, with what you're saying there, Jeff, in the sense that actually you know, these unemployment figures can, can recover very quickly. I think, Chris, that's right as well. And, and the, a lot of the managers that, that we have are, are looking at, at China as well and saying, right, they're going to be ahead of the rest of the world. We know why it started there. So they're going to be further ahead in terms of recovery. But when you look at the, the data on, on consumption of commodities, on raw materials, on the property markets within the big cities, say Shanghai, traffic levels, etc., there is a recovery. And if if there's a model there to be followed, you've got real data, real facts which are coming out of the area that was affected first. 
and perhaps that could that could be um, significant for the rest of the world. And the U.S. the jobless figures it it, it it's a, a result of probably lockdown being eased there that people can get out more and they can go looking for work and there there are jobs to fill. And thinking about the UK, you know, the restaurant chains that that are, are there, the high street chains, um, they're they're opening up now for delivery services. Not much good for me where I am here because I'm a little bit too far out of the city centre. But Paul can now get his deliveries again from Wagamama and from Nando's, being being on the <laughs> key side in Newcastle. So, Paul, before we before we start recording this, you were mentioning, you know, just looking out of your your window on the quayside, you can see some changes. Absolutely, yeah. Behaviour has definitely changed, especially amongst the the younger generation. Um, you've seen a, a lot of people using any grass areas, any benches, just to enjoy the weather and have a couple of drinks that they've. Uh, got from the supermarkets and people are more are, are more willing to to do that and it's definitely changed I don't know if it's uh, the, the, the changes in the lockdown measures whether it's the, the warm weather um, but people are certainly especially amongst the younger generation prepared to go out and to, to, to socialize um, where they can I've noticed if I go for a walk, uh, social distancing is still there. You know, people will stop and and move aside and move at least two metres away from you. So that message has got through. Track and trace, well, that's a can of worms, particularly as we talk in the, in the UK at the moment, because we seem to be the only ones that can't get this to work. Um, but uh, we, let's let's hope that that has, has an effect. That we that everybody uh, is looking for on that side of it. Um, looking at the week ahead, um, first of all, from from the market point of view, from any data point of view, Jeff, what's coming, and then I'm going to ask each of you what you're going to be doing in the week ahead. I think just just looking um, to the week ahead from a, a market's point of view, I think the thing that I'm thinking about and, and looking towards is just to get PMI data from China over the weekend for, for May. And that speaks very much to that point, um, Mark, that you've been been alluding to there. What does Asia give us a, a blueprint for to look at? The May data from, from China will either show us a continuation of that positive trend or a flatlining of, of the trend that we've been, been seeing from there. So that will be important because what we did see initially was that improvement in the domestic economy, the domestic side of China, both in manufacturing and services. It's whether now that has been sustained or whether we see a bit of a dip because internationally we're still only coming out of lockdown. So I think that will be something that that we'll look to to over the weekend to see what those come, what comes from that. And I think then the, the, the important thing probably starts to think around two or three things from my perspective. What what does Mr. Trump say this afternoon about China um, and what sort of reaction or non-reaction does that promote from, from the Chinese authorities? Now, clearly the past week has been dominated by the National People's uh, Congress and that set out an agenda that, that China wants to pursue, which interestingly did have comments around uh, cooperation and things like that. So um, it's going to be an interesting dynamic. I think the other thing that, that's coming to the fore, obviously, is what the UK needs to achieve by the end of June. Um, with regard to the Brexit negotiations or non-negotiations um, that appear to be happening at, at this point in time. So news flow around that will, will likely be something that we'll continue to look at. And then obviously, as we, as we do consistently within TPP, engaging with their managers, hearing what they're doing, observing what, what changes they're making within the portfolios to get a sense of how they're positioning our portfolios for our clients going forward. Lovely. Uh, Paul and Barney, uh, the funds that you're managing, you're getting new money coming in each day. You've got what's, what we term positive cash flow. You've got investment decisions to make on behalf of our investors. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on the coming week? Yeah, I, I think um, I think it'll be interesting to see if we continue to see a broadening out of the markets as 
uh, Chris and Jeff have touched on, whether we continue to see value to perform. Um, we'll continue to uh, add to um, investment grade corporate bonds where we still think there's uh, still money to be made there. We're speaking to a number of managers today uh, and next week in, in terms of uh, in, in the bond space where we're looking at uh, potentially looking at active emerging market debt managers, but also taking a look in the high yield uh, as well. Um, and it'll be also interesting just to see how Europe plays out and whether you continue to see strength in the euro, which has reached a two month uh, high against the dollar, whether you see European banks uh, continue to, to perform a little bit better and whether you still continue to see a tightening of Italian uh, bond spreads, which they have been doing on the back of this Eurozone recovery fund. So as always, there's a lot to, uh, to keep our attention uh, high. Okay, Bonnie, would you like to add to that? Yeah, as, as uh, Chris said at the top of the call, um, you know, diversification remains key. Uh, we've seen um, a, a very strong rebound in the equity markets. Um, at, at, at the beginning of lockdown, markets around the world fell by about 35%. We've seen a strong recovery since then. I think that the FTSE is up about 25% since the low point. The S&P is up 35%. Uh, since its low point. So there has been a, a strong recovery and, and that sort of speaks to the sort of slightly different nature of this of this downturn. This uh, recession was was induced by the lockdown, by the closing down of economies by governments around the world. So its impact was much more sudden, much more severe than in any other previous downturn. But the stimulus and the support measures that we, you know we've talked about through the call have been put in place. Uh, they're now beginning to be felt, uh, and we've already seen um, the response of, of, of equity markets to that. There will be hiccups along the way. There will be industries and companies that are never the same again. There is likely, as 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 economies open up, there is likely to be you know, a, a, a re-incidence or a, you know, a second wave of, of, of COVID, um, but probably not as severe as the first. Um, so, you know, the, the uh, markets never go uh, up in, in a completely straight line. But I think, you know, if, if we look out to the amount of support and stimulus uh, that has been put in place or the facilities that have been made available, all of that, is, is very supportive for equity markets going forward. Well, Chris, within the portfolios, you know, as Barney said there, some industries will never be the same again, but what, what, we, what we employ our managers to do is to pick the winners and pick the areas of growth and those areas that we feel will be right for clients invested in the portfolios going forward. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the week ahead and, and in particular how the, things will impact on the portfolios? Yeah, sure. I think for me personally, the week ahead is, is really around manager engagement. So we're obviously restarting the month. So we restart our monthly cycle with the true potential portfolios. So at this point, we're really preparing to speak to our managers to, to try and find out all of their thoughts around markets and then how that then filters into the decision taking within the, the funds that they run for us. Um, but I think you, know, you, you picked out a really good point there, Mark, which is you know, the reality is, is we do pick our managers to pick out winners. And our managers are constantly looking to find those winners. They're constantly adapting the funds that they run for us here at True Potential to, to try and find where they believe is opportunity. And I think, you know, one of the big things for me is, is that there's always opportunity within multi-asset because there are so many different choices that you can make, whether it be at an asset class level, a stock level, whether it be regionally, you know, there's a huge amount of opportunity out there right now. 
Okay. And looking at the weekend, Chris, on a, a different note, what, what have yeah. you got planned? Um, unfortunately, my, my girlfriend, Moira, broke her ankle, so I will be looking after her, making her lots of cups of coffee and food and things like that. Um, also, the, the pub that is quite close to me now does takeaway pints, so I was contemplating uh, <laughs> going in and having some of them. I think the decision had already been made, Chris. It wasn't contemplation at all. (laughs) (laughs) Bonnie, for yourself, what's planned? Uh, Well, part of the reopening, uh, we're allowed to go rowing again on the river, um, only in single boats, not in uh, in, uh, boats with a larger crew. Uh, But I'll uh, I'll be seeing this weekend if I can go out in a boat in a single um, and, and remember how to do it and stay dry and not fall in. So that's that's, uh, that's what I'll be up to at the weekend. Great. Paul, you'll be looking for a little bit of greenery around the quayside and you'll be sitting there? No. <laughs> so it's been, it must have been at least three, four months since I had my hair cut. So that's going to be the weekend's task uh, for me. Are you um, doing that, Paul, or is your girlfriend again? doing it? Are you doing it, or is your girlfriend doing it, or? Uh, I'm I'm trusting her to do it. We'll need a before and after shot for 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 this. Definitely. Definitely. I'll, uh, Definitely. And Jeff, are you taking a break from homeschooling and Lego models being broken and temper and things like that? <laughs> Yes, well, we'll hopefully get outside in the in the good weather, or we will get outside. And given how how lockdown has now been moved to the next phase in in Scotland, we're going to try a socially distanced barbecue on uh, on Sunday in the garden. So that, that's going to be the plan. Oh, great, great. Well, here the the, the news of um, Premier League return in this household was was greeted with a mixture of delight and despair. And I'll, I'll let you, you can guess who was delighted. And it was, um, it was my wife, Bev, who kind of held her head in her hands as the schedule was announced, which looks like it's wall-to-wall football. Um, Matty was absolutely delighted. Um, so I think that he's, he's weaning himself back into football by watching Bundesliga. So uh, hopefully we're going to all have a sunny weekend. Um, we, we will be watching markets with interest in the coming weeks. Um, days and weeks, all of the decisions we we make are impartial in the portfolios, they're fact-based, which is really important for us. We position the portfolios for market conditions, as as you'll have learned from today, and we're taking active uh, decisions each and every day within the funds and within the portfolios to position those for, for the future for everyone. So thank you, gentlemen, for joining us this morning. And most of all, thank you for watching this. And the True Potential Podcast 20 will be available next week. But enjoy this one, everybody, and have a super weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you.